This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Great baseball song. As we get ready for baseball to get underway here, pitchers and catchers are in Florida and Arizona right now. And analytics is obviously a game that is a part of the game that has revolutionized baseball, but it may very well be hurting many of the players who are free agents. Free agency signings have moved as slow as ever. In fact, about 100 players who were on rosters last year remain unsigned at this point. And that group includes two of the most prized acquisitions, outfielder Bryce Harper and infielder Manny Machado. Those two players are expected to garner contracts in the 8-10 to 10 year range with over $300 million in compensation, but the market has been very slow and teams are more more cautious to spend that much, and analytics may be impacting the game in ways that weren't even considered a couple of years ago. To explain more, we're joined here in studio by Adi Weiner, who's a professor and chair of undergraduate program in statistics here at the Wharton School. You also hear him as one of the hosts of Wharton Moneyball every Wednesday morning at from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, and also joining us, Brendan Harris, longtime time major leaguer with seven teams, including the LA Angels and Minnesota Twins. He is also uh, in player development and pro scouting with the Angels and a uh, Wharton uh, MBA as well. Uh, Adi, great seeing you. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's great to be here once again in another time slot. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. Great to have you with us. Yeah, great to be here as well. Thank you. Uh, So I guess, Brendan, from the player side, from what we're seeing right here, what's going on and, and how are the players reacting at this point? A lot of frustration out there, and it, it's, it's two years in a row of being a, an extremely slow market. And as opposed to last year, this year you have two major pieces that you can you can argue are are essentially haven't fallen dominoes that haven't fallen that are slow in the market. But there's there's many reasons uh, for the for the slow free agency and and, and the lack of signings, uh, specifically the analytics. But there's a couple other things in terms of the uh, collective bargaining agreements, but. Certainly, you're just having smarter teams um, uh, not want to commit to these long-term deals, and uh, the, the players are starting to get uh, pretty frustrated, to be honest. Adi? Well, I think he's absolutely right. The uh, analytics group have made their mark. I mean, if you look back historically, we in the stat departments have been banging our heads against the wall as fans when we we watch our favorite teams make ridiculous deals. Right. And they tend to be very, very long term contracts which tie the team up in money for players who aren't going to perform. Now I'll just point out one thing that we've always known that we that we assume that the, the teams should know but never seem to get is that future you're paying for future, not yeah. for past. And and historically that seemed to be what people did because statistically people would look at the past and they would project the future by just dragging out the past and that just is is just not the right way to do it. And the data available today has made it even better and more easily to forecast in the future. So is this become the new norm in baseball, at least on the free agency side? Well, you know, I, it's it's got to be the new norm in some level. I mean, there is, is of course, the issue of market value, and that's got to right. really speak and, and stand up. Um, but um, there's been a lot of bad contracts in the past, and I think that the analysts have, have made their mark on the management and said, you know, don't enter into these bad contracts, which tie you up with a player and tie your roster, tie your, your, your budget into one player who just isn't going to be valuable in the way you expect. And so I think people would will, will sign Mike Trout for that kind of money. Um, right. But someone like Bryce Harper and, and, and Manny Machado, not don't under, don't, don't mis, misunderstand me. They're very good players. They're terrific players. Yeah. But it's not clear that they're worth 
$400 million over 12 years, or maybe what Bryce Harper wants. He turned down $300 million over seven years. Um, $30 million for each year for is um, it got to be at least what he's worth, but do you want to sign him for more than six years, five, six years? Because already he'll be 31, 32 at that time, yeah, and yeah. I think we're seeing um, less production coming, at least relative production, maybe more production from the younger guys and less production from the middle-agers, which is 33 and up. Brandon, I, I guess, are, are the years that, that a potential contract may be in play, is that one of the driving forces from the from the team's perspective right now? got to be, uh, because as, as uh, I'm sure uh, uh, I, I could tell you, the analytics, once uh, guys are hitting 32 years old, they're really starting to uh, regress in their performance. And yeah. I personally, I think it should be on a case-by-case basis, but in, in general, you're starting to see some regression. And, and Adi mentioned that the, this premium price is being baked into your previous production, and so it's not um, you know, guaranteed that you're going to get that performance in the future. And um, as guys get into free agency later and later, um, teams are just not going to pay for such an unknown once they regress into that into that um, later those later years. And so what they're doing is, if they take kind of a portfolio um, view of this, they're thinking, all right, well, I'm probably going to have to pay six to eight years for a Manny or a Bryce. So can I allocate that thirty to forty million, or probably so we'll say we'll cut it, we'll say thirty-five million in three or four different pieces, and that kind of mitigates my risk, okay? And what happens if, if, I, if I put $35 million into Bryce or Manny, he goes down for two months? Right. You know, now I'm hurting. And so now they can break that up. They can get maybe two setup guys. They can maybe get another guy and, um, you know, break up that win- those wins above replacements in three different, four different ways. So there's a couple of things that have really changed. The last thing you mentioned, Brendan, is, is apropos, is that the, the teams are seeing enormous value with, with pitchers in particular that they never really gave much thought to. Yeah. So they're, they've redirected their effort in that, that area. The other effort is in things that we used to not be able to quantify and just didn't care about. And those, are in particular, are fielding and base running and stealing. Those things are minor, but fielding is actually quite major. Sure, yeah. And if you take a look at, at Mike Trout, is everybody's favorite player, at least on a stat line, and and he he generally garners year after year, if not the leading uh, WAR candidate in, in major leagues two or three. And the reason for that, if you look at his stat line, is he is he mantle esque? I mean, you 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 were we played that song. Sure, he's not mantle esque. He doesn't have fifty home runs and hitting three seventy. He right. doesn't. He hits three ten and he hits forty home runs and and he has a lot of walks. So why is he? so spectacular because he's an exceptional fielder yeah. and an exceptional base runner and exceptional intelligent base player and that those things add up and make him a 10 war player every year and that is something we aren't seeing and I think with someone like with, with Harper and Machado and you, you talk about that age curve and the decline, these are already not particularly good fielders and not particularly good base runners. By the time they're 32, they're going to be albatrosses in your, in your, in your lineup. You're going yeah. to know what to do with them, and, and they're going to be less productive at, at the plate. And so I think the, there's a lot of caution going on. I have forecasted that they will get a, contracts, and I think they are worth it. And, and, and I think the thing that's misunderstood, and there's got to be more evolution in analytics, I think there's, what's misunderstood is the, is the nonlinearity of a valuable player, meaning that in order to win a championship, it's going to cost you more. And you have sure. to recognize you have to pay for it. So a team who wants to win should be able to should be able to find the money and cough it up. Which which makes you wonder, Brendan, uh, what we're headed for in terms of of who are the potential winning teams. I mean, I think we've already kind of established uh, there's a there's a level of, of spend that you need to have to be able to be a competitive team. Then there's kind of another level that a lot of people I think assume is the case to be able to win the championship every year. 
Yeah, and you're seeing um, a little bit uh, in Major League Baseball like the NBA where teams are just, all right, we're going to try to tread water and then maybe make a deal. And so they're not going to spend that money to be maybe an 82 to an 84 win team. And so if you're looking at, you know, spring training, hope, hope springs eternal in spring training and everybody, you know, seemingly has a chance. So, but now you're you're seeing probably eight to ten teams with these really low payrolls that are that are kind of building for the future, as they would say, and other people would say tanking. Um, but there's a big donut hole in the market, in my opinion, because uh, that's changed because teams are not tied to their uh, attendance anymore. They're tied to their um, TV deal. So, so there's no onus on them to spend that money to get to 80 wins right, when yeah. they could just get those um, hypothetical first round high first round picks. Uh, coming that previous that next year, and and the other problem also that I see Adi is the fact that you have, as Brendan just mentioned, all of this TV money that's out there as an influence coming in. Uh, this the scouts know that that TV money is there, and they expect that their players, wherever they're going to be the great players, are going to get their fair share. They're kind of living on the old model of of what baseball used to be, and and obviously the people that are working in these uh, front offices are working or trying to work on a different model it seems like it does i don't quite get it I, I mean for i love to go to the ballpark and i would imagine that you know bryce harper to me is a draw i'd love to go see him play yeah, yeah. um despite i mean he may not be year after year I mean, he was a top roughly top 10 player not every year but he's a, in terms of hitting only and he's certainly dramatic he's fun to watch i mean and uh, machado also uh, particularly he does it from the infield these guys, these guys got to bring people in, and I don't know what the the, the, the business calculation is. I haven't actually done it, right. but it's hard to imagine that bringing people to the to the ballpark doesn't matter. I mean, it does bring some revenue. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about the business of baseball and free agency. We're joined here in studio by Adi Weiner, Professor of Statistics and Director of Undergraduate uh, Program in Statistics here at the Wharton School. And also you hear him on Moneyball uh, every uh, Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 a.m. Also joining us, Brendan Harris, former major leaguer uh, and also uh, MBA student here at Wharton and uh, also in player development and pro scouting with the uh, with the Angels. Uh, I guess, Brendan, is should there be an expectation now of where this industry is going? And we've always thought it it was a game. At least the fans think it's a game. It is a business. It's going to be treated as a business. And, and even more so, it feels like the numbers crunch that is has really come on in the last few years is going to impact what goes on with contracts moving forward. Absolutely. In, in two points real quickly, I think it's it's hurting the fan bases a little bit. I 100% would agree with, with Adi where, where the you follow your team in the offseason. It gives you momentum. It keeps you connected and engaged with your team. And and I, I think there's there, there's 100% merit. I mean, look at the um, Yoana Cespedes trade a couple of years ago, what it did. It electrified that Mets franchise and, and took them to the World Series. So I think there is... Uh, merit to look to these uh, uh, free agent, you know, as long maybe it doesn't hamstring your eight, ten year deal, but you can get these um, marquee free agents to kind of re-energize your franchise. At the same time, uh, in terms of the collective bargaining agreement and in terms of contracts moving forward, certainly there's going to the 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 MLBPA is 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 in the lab, kind of working on how how to kind of counteract this. And so there's going to be a couple things that I told you. There's, bunch of different variables why uh, these contracts are being um, 
uh, only you know one-year deals only giving out. One of them being the analytics. Another is certainly the the luxury tax threshold is being used as an excuse when it really shouldn't be. Um, I think there has been rumors that they um, owners might have been able to go to 220 million. They settled at 200 million. If I'm the PA, I'm I'm telling them go at least 250 million minimum. Uh, and then the other thing is, as we talked about regression hitting at 32, well, what do they have to do? They got to get their guys to free agents sooner, so that's still be in their prime. So they got to maybe raise, raise uh, or double that super two threshold, or maybe um, work out some way that you can manipulate. You know, teams can't manipulate service time. So I think those are the kind of the reactions uh, that are going to that are going to come to get uh, contracts back up to market value in two to three four years. So then, to a degree, Adi, it sounds like that from what Brendan's saying, teams are are also going to have to think about how they structure their contracts years wise earlier on in a player's career, so that if they want to get the premium and if they are going to give out an eight year contract. They can get it so that eight-year contract really comes towards the end at age 32, 33, yep. maybe. So there's going to have to be a lot more calculation going on from the from the front office. I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, Brendan talks to is that the, the players agreement has to really think differently than it thought in the past and start moving that clock up. I'm, uh, one of the things that intrigues me, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it, uh, Brendan, in particular, is that one of the things that I've observed with other sports is the lengthening of the of your prime. So you're seeing, for yeah. example, we see this in tennis. It's just almost undeniable. And and uh, in basketball, the players are, are lasting a while. We don't see it so much in football, although we do see it at Tom the quarter. Tom Brady position. being the, ex- <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, the absolute right. exception. Right. So it seems to me that in, in baseball, there's been a, a regression to an earlier um, fallback date. I mean, and, 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 and there's been an enormous amount of more production being produced by the youngsters than there, than there ever was. And I don't understand necessarily why that's happening. I would have thought that the increase of nutrition and training would lengthen the careers, particularly for the superstars. So that's where I'm, I'm at a loss. Maybe there's some, you have some suggestions or answers. Brandon? Yeah. One of the things is there's been a greater focus on player development. So you and uh, let, they're moving away from that old school of X amount of ABs, X amount of innings that a guy needs to get to the major leagues. And now they're, now they're saying, hey, if a guy's successful for two months, move him. If a guy's successful, move him. And then just you're seeing some guys um, get promoted at 20, 21 years old. Um, I'm sure you'll see uh, Vlad Guerrero's kid. I, I'm not sure he's 20 yet, but, you know, he, he, he'll be in the major leagues. The second, in candidly, is, a, is an overreaction to the steroid era. And these owners don't think guys can play into their mid to late 30s. Yeah. Uh, certainly, some of the data does point to that. But I'm seeing I'm seeing more fitness fanatics uh, when I when I go into clubhouses and I go to games now. And certainly with the weighted ball stuff, you're seeing velocity go through the roof. You're seeing you know Justin Verlander's re um, re. Um, Rehabilitated his career, he's still throwing hard into his into his mid to late thirties. I think that pendulum will swing back, and people will value. Certainly, one of the the positions I think that um, isn't is is valued later into their uh, uh, aging process is catching. Um, but um, but I think there will be that that pendulum is gonna is gonna kind of correct again. How much do you think that that what's what we've seen go on, Brendan, here this year with obviously Machado and and Harper not signing? They're kids. I mean, just put it in perspective. Exactly. They're twenty six years old. Yeah. Remember, remember that that uh, Ryan Howard came up at twenty five, and yeah. they, the Phillies yeah. gave him this ridiculous contract at thirty one. Yeah. And that was considered. He still had many years ahead of him. He turned out not so much. But but these yeah. these are children. I mean, Bryce Harper. We think of, he came up at twenty. I think. 
both Harper and Machado came up at 20. Yeah. And we're already thinking that maybe in five years they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're done? done? I mean, how can this be? <laughs> it's almost like there's a shelf life at 10 years, Brendan, and they don't want to even consider anything beyond that 10 years. No, and it's become groupthink. And, you know, there is in, in some, you know, professional sports, there's a lot of copycat. Uh, and But now it's, it's led to paralysis where um, you're having guys uh, perform well into their, uh, into their mid-30s. And, and, you know, it, but at the same time, it is business. And if owners can get away with one-year deals, they're going to do it. I mean, you get a guy like Jake Arrieta, who is as, as finely tuned athlete as anybody, um, and thought he was going to get a five, six-year deal, had to settle for a three-year deal. So um, some of these teams are just waiting guys out. They're playing this game of chicken, and it's going later, later into the offseason. They're getting um, one, two, three-year deals, where in the past it was three and four. Um, and uh, hopefully with, um, you know, just basically – basic supply and demand things, I think uh, um, these players can get those deals back. But as of now, I, I don't see it coming. Is there still a kind of a trickle-down effect in, in these signings? Like, you know, if, if Machado and Harper were to sign here in the next few days, then that kind of opens the door for, you know, some of these other free agents to try and get, get a deal done based off of what they got? You would think, and uh, but it, it seems to be some teams have have moved on um, and have kind of spent their money accordingly. So I think those guys are there's what four, maybe five teams that are in in on those guys, and yeah. so um, I, I don't see this this flush this rush of spending after those two guys sign. I guess the one contract that really kind of stands out to me was Albert Pujols. I think that's the one that was crushing. Yeah, Pujols and and and, and Howard. I think were, were Howard, destructive yeah. contracts yeah. for the because I mean he gave him one of 10, 10, 12 years at age thirty or so. Yeah. Or twenty eight, thirty, and he didn't produce after the first three or four years. Yeah, and, and it, it makes you, it's almost like a buyer beware, you know, that that if you see one case of this, then maybe you're a little you're wary of it. If you see two or three instances of it, then it's like, okay, now we understand that that once you get past thirty, thirty one, thirty two, you got to be very careful of what you offer out on the table. But these are front-ended. I mean, in some sense, you're getting discounted rates in the future, right? So right. the idea is I'm going to give you $30 million. $30 million is a top price now, but in five, six years, $30 million is not going to be a super top price because that's a fixed price. You're, you know, it's not adjusted for, for payrolls. Um, so maybe, maybe maybe people are miscalibrated. I can think of some big contracts that were quite effective, and yeah. even though their, the performance at the end wasn't particularly great, but they nevertheless were, they produced a lot of value along the way. But I guess, Brendan, then what is the expectation uh, of of a team for a long-term contract. Do you have that expectation that if you sign somebody to a 10-year deal and maybe you sign them at age 26 that you can get all 10 years that are, that are very effective or is the expectation because of the front loading that if I can get two-thirds of the contract to be very good th- then we have to feel good overall? Yeah, they're hoping for 80% of that. So they're hoping okay. for eight good years. And then I think if you really drill down to them, you say, all right, if I get two-thirds of that, I'll take it, uh, especially if I win a title. And then I'll just absorb the last couple of years. Hopefully I draft well. I'm able to uh, replenish my farm system and get a couple zero to three guys, and, and I'll be fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, and now you're just, you're just seeing teams where, all right, that doesn't make sense that's, um, to pay that premium. And without as many teams in the market for those players, that these teams are not doing it anymore. I mean, you remember years ago, we used to see owners 
um, say, all right, I want to make a splash this off season. I want to, you know, throw some money around. You're just not seeing that anymore, and and because there's no, these teams aren't valuing those intangible things uh, like they used to. So then, Adi, I'll ask this of you. There's a C word in baseball that a lot of people don't like to use, and it's collusion, and, and because it's a mindset of all the teams. Is this somewhat of a version of collusion? It's not collusion. I think it's a collective wisdom that is that is really that's really accumulated and it's and it's spreading. I also think we don't have some of these big personalities in in uh, ownership. I mean, Steinbrenner for years yeah. set yeah. the stage, and I think what Brendan points out is without having guys like Steinbrenner to lead you along, it's it, people are all pulling back. It's uh, it's there's a reluctance to do it, and maybe if there was just one person who would be willing to just step up and do it, um, you would see the whole thing just fall apart as, as they all clamored to, 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 uh, to make sure that they didn't get cut out of the market completely. Um, but I really think it's just the dynamics. I think if you look at it, I mean, this is what I heard. It was an interview with Mark Teixeira, and he made the point that if you actually look at the underlying data, the hard analytics look at, at, the, at the quality of these players that are like, like Machado and like Harper, well, they're just not worth it. I mean, they're just yeah. saying flat out they're just not worth the money you're willing to pay them because they're just not that good. And that's yeah. the statement that they're they're making. And 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 there's this collective mindset that has been that has been fostered by the analytics crew to say something of that nature. I mean, uh, Harper and Machado are volatile players. They have yeah. been ter- terrific players for a year, half a year. Other times, not so much. And it's hard to know what they're going to do in the future. Um, I do think. That they are, I mean, they are young. They're, I think they're going to get better, and yeah. uh, and I, it's my view is that a team like the Yankees, they're not going to do it because they don't really need um, Harper. But maybe they should think about Machado. I'd love the Phillies to sign Harper. Yeah, I think he'd be terrific for the for the Phillies. And there's uh, teams that are looking to compete. I think the Nationals should re-sign Harper. Yeah, um, but they're just reluctant. Brandon, your thoughts? I, I agree. I would say it's more of a collectivist mindset. And does it happen where a couple? Uh, Quant guys grab a couple beers at the winter meetings and they're sitting around and they're going to say like, yeah, I'm like, we're not going over two years for any reliever. You know, they're just too volatile and blah blah yeah. blah. Does that, and then that becomes kind of groupthink and every, and then it becomes conventional wisdom throughout the industry. Uh, and then to, to the other point, and teams are valuing versatility now. And as these big contracts, these guys, these, as they age, they, they age themselves out of their versatility. I mean, classic example. Look at the uh, look at the Dodgers lost. Um, Corey Seager this year, but the way they constructed their roster and what they value, they were able to plug in Chris Taylor, Kiki Hernandez, and keep their head above water, Not do more than keep their head above water to a point where they can make a, a deadline deal for Machado and still make the World Series. And that all plays out in the minor leagues uh, of making sure that, that that players who have the ability be able to be, be able to play three or four different positions while they're in the minor leagues so that they could they could do that in the major leagues as well, right? Absolutely, you're you're seeing it everywhere. You're seeing guys mid-game switch. You're seeing, yeah. you know, in a, in a five-game series, you're seeing them play two, three different positions. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's a fascinating shift in strategy. You know, if there's anything the analysts um, love, it's it's versatility. It's Ben mm-hmm. Zobrist. It's yeah. the guy who can play infield and outfield and be useful at lots of different positions and have good fundamental characteristics. They hit the ball hard. Um, then one of the things that they keep track of are are, are, uh, are you know barrels. How, how what fraction of your your bat balls are hit hard. They don't so much care about whether they fell in or not or whether or that they left the park, but what are yeah. the angles? And you know, I think also that you talk about Brendan this collective group think 
Is there anything worse to be the subject of one of those analysts' eye rolls? Like, <laughs> you know, and I think they, they've gotten they've gotten a little bit of stature, and yeah. people are afraid to to uh, to push back at at these notions, and because I think for the most part they are right, but it's still a business, and yeah. there's still a market aspect of it, and that's always, always the thing. And I think that they are wrong on on the, with the point that I made earlier is I don't think they really properly uh, understand that there is a. A, a, a non-linearity to this, and that means that the amount of wins that you get isn't isn't independent, isn't isn't does depend on what you're moving into. And to get a championship level team, you have to pay more. And I don't. That's the, the loss. Great having you both with us. Thanks, Adi. Great seeing you, Brandon. Great to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 